So you probably think, well, that was a real slow song, but that was a fast song for the Amish people. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, the songs we sang in church, the lines were, you know, the amount of words in a line was about the same as in English. And it, we uh, tried to spend one minute per line. It was that slow. Really slow. <clears throat> Don't ask me why, because I'm not sure. I just know, to me, they sound great. To you, you're probably like, well, I just got uh, uh, translated into another country or something. <laughs> so, today, I will give a little update on the mission, but maybe after my presentation, um, I'm pretending I'm not nervous, because I am, because I never used slides before, and so pray that they work. <laughs> if they don't work, you'll have to carry me out. Um, <clears throat> This is our banner, the West Salem Mission, a Bucky and three angels, three angels. And uh, like I said, uh, we have a mission to reach the Amish people, as most of you know. Um, a while back at our church, I gave a presentation on the sanctuary. And one of the ladies here was there, and she said, Andy, you need to come to my our church in Brooklyn and share that. And so today, um, I'm going to give the condensed version of it, and I haven't mastered it in any shape or form, but some of the amazing things I have discovered about the sanctuary. And the first 15 minutes or so, you're probably going to say, well, we heard all of this, but I trust that you will learn something, and then I have an appeal at the end, maybe something interesting we as families could do for this winter. Um, So let's see if this thing works. Not working. Is it on? Let me, do, let me do what you told me to do. Huh? Uh, towards that? Okay. No. Yeah. So, um, Leslie, they were already complaining this morning that they lost their tech guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see what happened. Technology is nice, but it can let you down too. <laughs> it was crazy. I came here this morning and then my computer balked on. They wouldn't even let me put their password in. I'm like, oh my, the devil doesn't like this. And then, <clears throat> All right, here we go. What was one of the things that Jesus said in regards to the end of time? Now, when Jesus spoke about the end of time, there was one thing that he, a lot of times that he, that he pointed out. So what was that? And Jesus said and answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man can deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So is it possible that even God's remnant people could be deceived at the end of time. Could be. Because there's all winds of doctrines blowing these days. Um, it's amazing. Um, you can, it seems like we live in a world where, where people cut and paste the Bible a lot to make it fit their own, their own thing. <clears throat> Jesus said, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That is scary. 
Because if we're lost, we're eternally separated from Christ. Now, they just took my pointer thing. Can you bring my pointer back? I appreciate that. All right, next slide. Why does it say, if it were possible? I have a theory why I think it says, if it were possible. Thank you. It makes me feel more like I'm doing something if I had it, right? <laughs> Today, well, let's do the next one. And that'll tell you. Today, we want to get a picture of the plan of salvation. We're not going to spend much time in the Bible. Because sometimes if we read the Bible too much, we get bogged down and we kind of forget where we're at, where we're going. So today we want to look at the plan of salvation. Because I, I, I tell people, if, they if we can see the picture, if we can see the plan of salvation, it'll make it a lot more difficult for Satan to sidetrack us because we have a picture we, in our minds because we think visually, don't we? The next slide. Yes, we think visually. Next slide. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they made a golden calf. Why is that? Is it possible that they wanted to worship something they could see with their physical eyes? I think so. So in, when they were in Egypt, they were used to worshiping to a God that they can see. And we are still inclined to follow something we can see. And, and especially where I come from, in the Amish, we have all these rules. We follow these rules, and we want all these rules, you know, especially external rules that we can see, you know, we can feel like, um, like you know, we're part of something. But it's, it's kind of a, a form of idolatry. It can be a form of idolatry. What was one of the ways that God dealt with this problem? What problem? The children of Israel wanted to worship something that they could see. In Exodus 25, 8, it says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So today we're going to look at the sanctuary and we're going to see some amazing things connected from the sanctuary to creation, to uh, the exodus of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Um, I think we'll learn some amazing things and I, I hope you will share with me what you learn. All right. Here is the sanctuary, the Hebrew sanctuary, a little uh, a painting or whatever of it. And... This, this thing here, this was the center of the, the Hebrew encampment. Everybody's focus was on this part of the camp, at, at the Hebrew camp. And if you notice, this is the sanctuary. The one thing that is interesting is the Bible parallels the sanctu that sanctuary with Christ, with Jesus. If you look externally, is that really att attractive ex externally? Not really. But guess what's inside? Gold. And that is the way Jesus was. And that's the way God wants us. And, you know, I believe that's why God spoke about jewelry. You know, we're inclined to be filthy inside, but we want to make ourselves beauty outside. But God is saying, look, you know, we, and, and let me just say this. One thing that God told the ancient Israel was, he says, you are to dress for glory and for beauty. You know, there's, there's cultures in this world that, you know, especially, you know, where I came from, in some of the Amish circles, they think that, you know, if you're awkward and weird and you're awkward, that, that that's what God wants. But God wants us to be presentable. But first we need to dress for glory and then for beauty. God wants us to be dressed beautifully. All right. Yes, let's go to the next one. 
So this is a little bit of a blueprint of the ancient Hebrew sanctuary. You have the altar of sacrifice. When somebody committed a sin, they would have to bring a lamb or a bullock or whatever they chose to bring, depending on the circumstances. They would bring and they would sacrifice it. After they sacrificed it, um, the priest was involved in that, and the priest would go and he would wash his hands in the laver, and then he would go on into the, the sanctuary. All right, next slide. So let's start with the camp. Again, just one more time. This is the center focus of the children of Israel. Everybody's focus is on, because that is where God dwells. This is where God dwells. And so everybody's focus is here. And one thing you will notice is that all the tribes, you see that? All the tribes that came in like that, they were not, let's go to the next one. Let, let's, let me show them what it was not like. So you see the red line where you see going around? The Levites were responsible for the sanctuary services. So they lived surround, around the curtain, around the perimeter of the outer court. But the court, the, uh, the tribes, all the tribes, the border of all the tribes would come in to the Levites. You see that? They come in like that. If... If you think about it, let's go to the next slide, and you'll see something. You see that? You see that? That's beautiful. It looks like a cross, doesn't it? But that is actually not accurate. You see, Naphtali, he's all the way over, over here. Zebulon is all the way down here. Gad is all the way over there. Do you want to be back there? If this, is the, if this is the focus, who wants to live back here? You don't want to live back there. You want to you be where Dan is at. Or where Ephraim is at, or Reuben, or Judah. But the, here, this shows that some of them were way back here, and some of them were way up here. That is not correct. Let's go to the next slide. This is the correct way. Every tribe, God wanted every tribe, the foot of every tribe, to reach the, to the border. So if you think about it in terms of, let's, let's make it personal. Let's say I am among the tribe of Dan. And I slip and I fall and I commit a sin. Now I have to bring a lamb to the sacrifice. The good news is I don't live back here and I have to cross Naphtali and Asher and all these people to get to the sacrifice. How does that apply to us? When I need to talk to Jesus... I don't have to go past all the other people. I can go straight to Christ. I can go straight to the foot of the cross. So God was illustrating. Every detail was very, very significant. And I don't know. There's a clock. This is still Sabbath, right? I hope I didn't. Okay. So, all right. Let's go to the next one. This, This shows somebody bringing a bullock in to sacrifice. Uh, Let's go to the next one. Um... Okay, that's the altar of sacrifice. We're going to go to the next one. Here it shows, and I know this is gruesome, but sin is terrible. So if somebody committed a sin, and if you think about it, today, if every time we committed a sin, we had to go and get it, buy a lamb, or take one of our lambs, and sacrifice it, could we afford to do that? It was, it was even even to, economically, it didn't make any sense. You know, you burned your finances out, and... Praise God, we don't have to do that. And there was no salvation in the lambs, of course. But 
God was just, you know, pointing forward to the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Let's go to the next one. Uh, let's skip that one. That's, that's uh, the sacrifice. Um, we did this one. Let's go to the next one. This will get interesting. All right. So let's spend a little bit of time here. We've got only a couple slides left, but we're going to spend a lot of time here. So what you see here is you have the uh, outer court where the Levites live, and then the uh, tribes were out here like this. And then whenever they committed a sin, like I said, they would bring a lamb, and they would come in through the gate, and they would meet the priest at the altar of sacrifice. So how does that apply to us? So when we, when we, when we fall, we come through the door, and we meet Jesus at the cross. In other words, Jesus said, I am the door. So we come through the door, we meet Jesus at the, at the sacrifice. And then we, we put our hands, they would put their hands on the lamb, and then they would confess their sins upon the lamb. And then the sinner himself had to take a knife and kill the lamb. And this, you know, this, the application here is, you know, it's our sins. We put our sins on Christ. And it was us that killed the lamb. Isn't that true? After the lamb was sacrificed, the sinner was free to go back to his camp. And the high priest, he would help with the sacrifice, right? So he would get his hands bloody. And then he would go from the sacrifice to the labor. And he would wash his bloody hands. Then he would take the sins. He would take some of the blood. He would take it into the altar of incense. And he would sprinkle, uh, sprinkle it on the horns on the altar of incense. Which typifies the, uh, the power of the blood of the lamb. And then the sins were taken. The sins were taken into the most holy place. And so you know, when people say that the idea of the... Um, Investigative judgment is not biblical. If types and shadows mean anything, then it is biblical. God was showing us with this model what actually happens in the real world between us and heaven. So when we confess, confess our sins, our sins are actually transferred to the heavenly sanctuary. And then the, at once a year there was an investigation, the investigative judgment. And then if you were repentant, your sins were put on a scapegoat and he was sent to the wilderness, which typifies hellfire. Okay? So, that little red line shows you the, um, shows you how the high priest, you know, what the high priest did. So the high priest, he would go from the altar of sacrifice to the labor, and then he would go and he would eat from the bread in the holy place, he would go before the, the, the light, the uh, seven lamb candlestick, and he would go on, and he would stop at the altar incense and go on into the most holy place, and eventually he would come back out. How does that apply to us? Again, we could look, I, could have, I was going to put scriptures with everyone, but now we'll get bogged down with our scriptures. But, so when we come to Christ, where do we come to Christ? We come through the door, and we come to the foot of the cross. 
We confess our sins, and our sins are transferred to the Lamb of God, to Christ. And then, eventually what happens? If you read the book of Hebrews, Paul, whoever the author was, we believe it was Paul, Paul was explaining what this whole sanctuary service was all about. Because the uh, Israelites, after the death of Christ, the Israelites were still literally, literally going through all these, all these um, um, motions. And, God, and Paul was saying, look, you, are, you, you missed the whole point. You don't see the type you just, you know, or the antitype. And so when we come to the foot of the cross, this is where it will get very interesting here a little bit. We come to the foot of the cross and we confess our sins to Christ. Are we forgiven? If we, come, if we come to Christ repentant and we've, you know, we, we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness, according to Scripture, are we forgiven at that point? Yes, we are forgiven. It doesn't matter how many sins you committed, how long you have been doing it. If you really want to come to Christ, God will forgive you. That's what He died for. After we come to the foot of the cross, where do we go next? According to the book of Hebrews, this represents baptism. You see the labor with water? We go to baptism. We're baptized into the body of Christ. And then we go on and we start daily partaking of the bread of life. Because, you know, Jesus, if you look, Jesus walked exactly that that route, that pattern in this life. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we follow Christ. And you, you remember in Revelation 14, it says, the 144,000, he says, they followed the Lamb wherever he went. We follow the example of Christ. We partake daily of the bread of life. And then, according to the high priest, we go and we shine for Jesus, the seven-branch candlestick. What is that? evangelism. We share our faith. We shine for Jesus. And then we go on, right? We go on. What does that represent? Can somebody tell me what that, what the uh, altar of incense represents? Prayers. We spend time communing with God, praying with God. You see, the point is this. This is the picture of the plan of salvation. What is happening today is, there's people who are saying, oh, I accepted Jesus. I'm not going to be baptized. There's no salvation in, in, in baptism. Is that a lopsided plan of salvation or what? Yes, that is not the correct understanding. If we get this, people, can't, people can say whatever they want. We can go, no, 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 no. That's, you know, if you say baptism is that important, I know according to the, the blueprint, baptism is important. Because it's not that we're, we're, you know, we have to do all that because you know, we're trying to be saved. It's just now we are following the Lamb wherever He goes. Amen? And so, we start spending time in prayer. We, we spend time with God, communing with God every day. We eat His bread, and we shine for Christ, and we get our strength from, from communing with God. <clears throat> now, if you go to Revelation, uh, and we won't go there this morning, but it actually says that, you know, John saw a vision, and the angels were coming with... with um, yeah, they were like, they were carrying, I'll call them containers, it's not the word, but it said, and they were coming before the older pin sins, and then they, he said, I saw the prayers of the saints go up toward the throne. 
And so the angels were bringing our, bring our prayers, and they sent Christ. Christ, you know, Christ, uh, Christ makes them legal, so to speak, and they go on to before the throne of God. So, after we go through this process, where do we go next? We go to the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. So when Jesus, when the angels came to uh, tell the shepherds about the, the um, second, or maybe it was to Mary, about Jesus being born, one of the things they says, said was, they will, he will save his people from their sins. If we go through this process, we are forgiven all the way. If we repent it, you know, we, we, you know, we, we remain in the Lord, we're forgiven all the way. But when we get here, that is when the law of God is, you know, is written in our hearts. This is, becomes our experience. You know, Revelation 14 says that we stand before the throne without fault. We are transformed. We're not only forgiven, we're actually transformed back into the image of God. That is the whole point. Of, that is the main point of the plan of salvation. God will forgive you. That way you don't have to walk around in guilt and shame. You can be set free and then he will transform you day after day as we, as we study um, his word. So let's, let's just review. So this represents what? The cross. Confession. And this represents what? Baptism. And this represents what? Word of God. And this is shining for Christ. And that is prayer, spending time with Christ. And this, of course, is the most holy place where the throne of God. We come to the throne of God. This is what I found shocking. Do you know that the world was created, if you look at the, the creation week, the world was created in exact that order. Exact that order. He divided the waters, and then he created uh, fruit trees, and then the sun and moon, and so on. The world was created in that order. Also, the children of Israel were led up out of out of Egypt in exact that order. They you know, they did the sacrifice. Remember that they came to the Red Sea. God gave them what? Isn't that crazy? And then what happened? He went before them, you know, in the, in the, in the, yeah. And all the way, all the way, all the way to Mount Sinai. Isn't that amazing? The plan of, I'm, I'm persuaded. If we get this, we get the Bible. Everything in the Bible surrounds this plan of salvation. Another interesting thing. I believe Matthew, when he wrote, wrote the book of Matthew, I believe he understood this. So, let's start with the outer court. What does Matthew 1 talk about? The begats, right? The, um, the descendants of Abraham and so on. That's the outer court, right? Matthew 1. He talks about the generations of the children of Israel. Matthew 2, what was going on in Matthew 2? Children were being sacrificed for Christ. What happened in Matthew 3? Jesus was baptized. What did Jesus talk about, or what happened in Matthew 4? 
The devil, uh, Jesus was te- in the wilderness and he was tempted with bread. This is my own theory, but the children of Israel, when they went into the wilderness, the Bible says they were hungry in the wilderness and then God brought them bread. Is that right? Here Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and he was hungry. What did the devil know? Maybe he knew that God was on his way with bread. Because after the temptation, it says an angel came and strengthened him. If, you're, if you are weak from starvation, what do you need? Food. I can't prove from the Bible that the angel brought him bread. But you know, if, if, if you look at ancient Israel and, and everything, yeah, it seems very logical that the angel brought him manna from heaven. But what happened before the angel arrived? The devil came to him and he, did, he, he said, if you're the son of God, Make your own bread. There's two problems with that. Number one, he was doubting. He was trying to put doubt in Christ's mind. And number two, he was trying to get Jesus to make his own bread. Is that the pattern of the Old Testament? No, God provides the bread. So that is, let's see, where are we at? Matthew 4, right? Okay, so we have Matthew 1 in the camp, Matthew 2, the sacrifice of the children, Matthew 3, Jesus being baptized. Matthew 4, we have Jesus being tempted with bread. Matthew 5, what happened in Matthew 5? Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. Isn't that amazing? Okay, Matthew 6. What did they talk about in Matthew 6? The disciples said, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus taught them how to pray. Isn't that something? It's the sanctuary. You know, if we get this sanctuary, if we get this in our minds, the whole Bible, it has a whole different meaning because the plan of salvation is right there. And like I said, the uh, creation week, everything, it's right there. And, you know, I haven't even studied out the life of Christ going through here. I want to. But I was told by a person that, you know, has studied, he says the life of Christ perfectly follows that. That's amazing. So we are at Matthew 6. Who can tell me what the first verse says in Matthew 7? Chuchna. Does that make any sense? We're judged by what? The law of liberty, which is, according to Revelation 10, the Ten Commandments. Matthew 7, Chuchna, that you not be judged. Then it goes on to say how we are to glorify our Father, which is in heaven. How do we glorify our Father? The Bible says that herein is my Father glorified that ye bring forth much fruit. Also, it stops by saying, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of, of God. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in What is the will of our Father? There's a prophecy in the Old Testament that says something like, I delight to do thy will, O my God. My law is in my heart. So what is the will of God? The law in our heart. So do you understand what I'm saying? So, again, if we can, if we can understand the sanctuary message, and you know the spirit of prophecy says, this thing here should be what absorbs God's people at the end of time. And I never understood why she said that. But this is what I know. 
we have only scratched the surface. My, this is what my family is planning to do. And I will throw the idea I, 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 for each one of you. But I think an amazing thing that we could do as a winter project is, uh, and they did it at the Illyria Church. And it's really fascinating. They took a piece of plywood and they actually built a miniature sanctuary. They built, they have the, uh, I don't know if they have the um, tribes, but they have everything, all the rest of it. Can you imagine if we had, if we did that as, as a winter project, how fun that would be as a family? Amen. To do, like, to build this. And if we had that setting in our house, how many opportunities would we have to share our faith with people? Many, you know, people would come in, they would be fascinated. And they'd go, what is this all about? And you can, you can show it. And many people don't actually, they don't, they don't believe in all of this. And what's amazing is, another thing that's amazing, do you, do, you, do you realize that in the Dark Ages, the Reformation went in exactly that, that pattern. If you go to the book of Daniel, it says that this sanctuary would be trodden underfoot for 42 months. Now, if you look at the time frame of that, of that prophecy, it's talking about a time frame, you know, the 1260 years, where there was no actual sanctuary on earth. So how can you tread down the sanctuary? You cannot literally tread it down because it's already destroyed. But if you look, what happened in the Dark Ages? What happened was this. It was replaced with indulgences, wasn't it? You have to buy your salvation. Number two, what happened with baptism? Sprinkling. You see, it's being destroyed. Number three, what happened with the Word of God? It was changed. They wouldn't let people have, read their own Word. Isn't that amazing? The devil knew something. Number four, what happened to people that did evangelism? They were killed at the stake. And then, how about prayer? They didn't pray at all, or else they prayed from books. They didn't pray from their heart. And what happened to that? You all know that. It was tweaked, or even, you know, some of them just replaced. And then, <clears throat> Martin Luther comes on the scene, and Martin Luther says, we're justified by faith. And also, he started working on this, making the Word of God available. And here along comes the Baptist movement, the Anabaptist movement. They said, you know, we need to be baptized as believers. Now, the Anabaptists didn't actually baptize people by immersion. They said, but they still sprinkle it. But then there came the Baptist movement. The Baptist movement said, you're right. We're justified by faith, but we need to be baptized. And did Martin Luther have a fit about that? He said, oh, you're, you're trying to wait, work your way to heaven. And they were not. They were just saying, look, we just want to be obedient to God because we love him. And then comes... You know, the, another, uh, who was the movement that, that was really translating? Um, Wesley? Not Wesley. Wycliffe, maybe? I forget. Yeah. Wycliffe? And then who brought in evangelism? I didn't refresh my mind. Anyways, another reformer brought evangelism in. Wesley did? Okay. Wesley was also very strong on a personal relationship with Christ. Prayer. And so this happened like 1400, 1500, 1600, and 1700. If you look at, you read the Great Controversy, you read history, it happened every 100 years. You know, God was progressing. And then you get to 1800. 
Now you have three movements come up around 1844. The one movement, the first movement said, eh, yeah, kind of, kind of, you know, saved by grace through faith. But they were really strong on baptism. Really, you know, they're pretty strong in the word. Very strong in evangelism. In prayer. But that, no, 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 no. That was the Mormon movement. Another movement came up during that time that said, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith. Baptism real strong. But you had the wrong Bible. They came up with their own version. Yes, strong, shining for Christ. Prayers, yes, prayers. That, done away. Who's that? Jehovah Witnesses. And then another movement came along and they said, this is correct. This is correct. You got this right. You got that right. You got that right. How about this? Then all the rest of the denominations got a fit. And they said, you're a cult. But do you know that, that the, uh, Martin Luther thought the Baptists were a cult? The Anabaptists were a cult? You know, as, you, as, they were, they were, as more movements came up, the ones below them said they were a cult. You're trying to work your, work your way to heaven. The point is this. We as Seventh-day Adventists have nothing to be ashamed of. Amen. We're nothing less than a completion of the Reformation. Amen. That is the most fascinating thing. Let's go to the next slide. This one, this is, this is something that is really amazing. So here you see all the furniture without you know, the, the um, blueprint of the sanctuary. So you see the gate, the sinner comes through the gate. As I said, we got this, right? Okay, next one. Look at that. Every time the high priest went through that ceremony, he was making a cross. Now let's put Jesus on that cross, okay? Let's say these are his feet. What did they do to his feet? They put a nail through it. What did they do to his left hand? Put a nail through it. What did they do to was that piece of furniture? They put a nail through it. What did they do around his head? A crown of thorns. What did he die from? A broken heart. Why was this untouched? This is his heart. Why was this untouched? What is that? That is the labor where the priest would wash his bloody hands. Let's look at one scripture. So Jesus, here is Jesus is hanging. Every piece of furniture is pierced, is damaged or pierced through by Satan. But we got one piece of furniture that is left. Let's go to uh, John 19, I believe. Some of you might have figured this out already. Did you figure it out? <laughs> so if you wash your bloody hands in water, what, what happens? You end up with bloody water, right? John 19. 1933 and 34. So let's just, before we read it, let's look at it again. This was nailed through his feet, nailed through the bows of his hands, died from a broken heart, and a thorn of crowns around his head. And this, which would be his, what do you call that? Thigh? Thigh, thigh, yeah, his body was, was not damaged. Why not? Why was that not damaged? Okay, let's read it. John 19, 33 and 34. 33 says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. 
But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. Did I just make this up? So when they came and they put a spear in his side, this bloody water came out. Isn't that astounding? That is astonishing. I'm persuaded again that every if we can understand the, the sanctuary, if we can get our children to understand the sanctuary, the devil will have a very hard time deceiving them. Because if somebody comes along and says, yeah, we'll just, we'll just, you know, we just accept Jesus as our Savior, we'll stay right there. We don't have to be baptized or read the Word of God or spend time with Christ and all that or keep the law. The children will be like, no, no, that's not God's way. That's not God's way. They can picture it. That's not God's way. I want to make one more point about that. All right, let's go to the next slide. So what happens when you are sitting in a dungeon at the end of time and you have no Bible? If you understood the plan of salvation through the sanctuary, could you be occupied in your mind? Very much so. You could be rejoicing. You could, you could be thinking about if we acquaint ourselves with Scripture now, like the, the, the creation week and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and all these things, we would come up with all kinds of encouragement and conclusions because we can picture the plan of salvation and the sanctuary service in our mind. So, it's, like I said, my family has decided that we will do this as a winter project. We're going to make a little miniature model, have it sitting in our house, and we'll bring guests in and hope they ask questions about this. <laughs> I was talking to a fellow recently that he used to keep the Sabbath, he fell away, and kind of became a real critic of it. And I, I showed this to him. And his eyes lit up, and he said, Andy, we've been going through a real hard time. This is, this is becoming really exciting again. And so I would suggest that we follow the, the counsel of the spirit of prophecy. We start really paying a lot of attention to this subject. Can you go back to the West Salem Mission banner? Anyway, so just a little update on the mission. Most of you have, some of you have been there. Most of you have heard of it. Um, like I said, we became members of the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church a few years ago, and we decided that we would uh, let God use us to reach the plain people. There was only a couple of us. Uh, it was my family and a couple of uh, Adventist people. And today we have, uh, Ken, how many people do we have there each Sabbath? Sixty? Yeah. So our sanctuary is full most Sabbaths. It's full. Um, it's amazing. When we came out, there was next to no Amish or Mennonite people that were actually Sabbath keepers, or uh, much less Seventh-day Adventists. But the Lord has really blessed. Um, <clears throat> our sanctuary is full, and thank you for, uh, for uh, helping us financially in your prayer. We really appreciate that, uh, very much so. Um, once, it looks like once we get into a new building, it'll be half full day one. And <laughs> We believe God is going to fill it. Um, we're getting contacts from other, other states, numerous other states from Amish and Mennonite people that are convicted. And what's, you know, Amish and Mennonite people, even though they, you know, they live in the Western culture, they're very separate from the world. And to take, to, take them, to take them into a church like this, 
they would find it, you know, it would be a culture shock for them. Because, you know, they're used to ladies sitting on one side, guys sitting on the other side, the ladies have all have head covering. So you come in here and it's like, this is shocking. And so what we're, what the goal is of West Salem Mission is um, to reach out and help those people. Amen. And we hope to, to um, um, have, like, um, satellite um, churches out, you know, throughout North America of uh, plain people and bring them under the umbrella of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But at the same time, they could have their own, you know, keep their own identity. And so <clears throat> the kind of message that I share today, that's what we share with our people. And so far, whenever somebody comes out and you share truths like this with them, like this to them, they're hooked. So far, by God's grace, nobody that came in left again. <laughs> they're like, whoo! And if you can get them to understand the plan of salvation from that perspective, because usually when they come out, they're legalistic. They're just, I mean, unfortunately, most of them are very legalistic. And you can show them that, you know, you don't have to be perfect before you come to Christ. We can accept Jesus as we are, and that we must accept him as we are. And then he will start brushing and he'll start working us. But all through this, we are, you know, we are close with the righteousness of Christ. And we don't have to go through life, like I said, in shame and, and in pain because a lot of us, you know, we look back over our lives, especially young life, and there are things that want to remorse, you know, that, w- that wants to bring us down. And we don't, have to be, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go through that. We can have Christ in our life while he transforms him, him, us into his image from face to face and from glory to glory. Amen. So that is the conclusion of my message. And um, we'll go to our closing song. We've got brochures, so we'll share our brochures with you today. So thank you for having us. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for um, financial support and everything you do for us. We really appreciate it. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Amen.